Well, how are we, church? Oh, that's not good. How are we? Online was louder than you guys in the building. Well, it is a new year, and in this year at church, we're calling the year of loving our neighbor. And we're taking the month of January uh, to look at a number of the one another verses that are peppered all throughout the Bible. There's about 100 times you find in the Bible that, that phrase one another. And we're kicking off the year with what was just read to us, be at peace with one another. Now, I presume you think that sounds good, being at peace with those in your family, those at church, those in your workplace, your neighbors. Be at peace with one another. You've just had a holiday. Christmas is done and dusted. There's not much traffic. It's pretty quiet. I can do this. But February is coming. When you're back at work, when that holiday seems like a distant memory, it's still raining, hashtag La Nina. The pressure is mounting. Things are getting busier and busier. And the idea of being at peace with one another seemed like a good idea back January 3rd, but all of a sudden, it's a bit tougher. How can you be a peacemaker in February and March and beyond? How can you be a peacemaker in the day-to-day stuff of life? What we're going to look at tonight is exactly that, how to be a peacemaker. And before we dive into what that means, I just want to say a couple of things to preface it, right? Because often when we think, yeah, I want a peaceful life, and my life would be peaceful if it wasn't for dot, dot, dot. If it wasn't for my mother-in-law, if it wasn't for my boss, if it wasn't for my kids, if it wasn't for that neighbor, my life would be peaceful. But what the Bible is very much focused on is there is only one person that you can change, and that's you. You cannot change anyone else. You can pray for them, but you cannot change anyone else. So we're going to look at what you're responsible for. As Romans 12 says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace, right? So we're going to look at what you're responsible for. The other thing I want to say is, Being a peacemaker is a constant pursuit. It says in James, peacemakers who sow in peace. Two days ago, I went to Bunnings because I started to redo the garden, plant some plants, weeded. And I know if I don't go back into that garden a couple of weeks, chaos will reign with the weeds. It's a constant effort. Peace. Having peace in your life is a constant effort. It takes work again and again and again. Just because you might have had a peaceful 2020 doesn't mean 2021 will be the same. It's a constant bit of effort, okay? So just those things before we dive in. So what we're going to look at is James chapter 3, and James 3 highlights two, well, two things, ways in which uh, you can go about hindering peace in your life, stopping it, killing it, and then ways in which you can promote, enhance peace. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at the first one. What are things that hinder peace in your life? What stop it dead in its tracks? Have a look at verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. There's two real things that James focuses on, and we're going to unpack for a bit, that kill peace. And one of them is envy, and the other is selfish ambition. Let's unpack envy for a moment. 
Often when we think envy, we think it's just wanting something. But you know there's actually nothing wrong with wanting something? I mean, that's why we pray. We pray because we do not have. Envy is more than that. It involves a number of steps. The first step of envy is that of inferiority. Where we look at someone and their good looks, their ability, what they have, their career, their relationships. And we feel this sense that God has shortchanged us. He's ripped us off. That we should rightly have what they have. We begin to to get jealous. But then envy takes another step. Where it moves from feeling inferior to that of negative. Negativity. Where you start to stew and brew on it. As Proverbs 13 says, envy rots the bones. It starts to consume us inside. We have these thoughts thinking they're not really happy. I mean, behind closed doors, they're probably miserable. We start to attribute negative accusations to their motives and why they do things. We start to turn them into an enemy and we dream dreams where they fail or they're caught or they're exposed, or if they're fit and got some six-pack that they get in 20 kilos instantly. Some sort of dreams like this where we, 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 we want them to fail. But dreams don't come true, and the next step of envy is that of resentment. And it, resentment comes with some very unpleasant friends where we gossip, we say things about them, start lies, that spread, that ruin and undermine the thing that we want. We might break the thing that's tied to their talent or do everything possible to stop them doing well. Why? Because we're envious. It's not safe. Envy is never satisfied and it comes with very unpleasant friends. What is it that you're envious of? No better question. Who is it that you're envious of. Because chances are, it's not someone like a celebrity, it's someone in your world who you rub shoulders with, who you're close to, in your family, in your friendship groups. Who is it? Because James is saying, don't deny the truth. So that's envy. Selfish ambition, the other killer of peace. Selfish ambition is what you want to choose something solely for yourself. And obviously examples like a career or maybe a relationship or travel experience, social scene, whatever it is. But deep down under a selfish ambition is this thing that's tied to identity. We want to feel known or powerful or we've made it or in control or capable or funny or liked. And so what do we do? Because it's all about us. We trample over others. We focus on getting things done rather than loving people. We make sacrifices we shouldn't have made. We talk about the thing again and again. And when it's threatened, we get defensive and angry. Now, envy and selfish ambition, the thing is, it's happening inside of us, all of us, in different ways. But it does rear its head. Verse 16 says, where, For where there is envy and selfish ambition... There you will find disorder in every evil practice, the exact opposite to peace. Let me give you two examples of what this could look like, how 
Bitter envy can destroy a family. Two brothers. The older brother is kind of capable kind of guy. Everything he touches goes well. The younger brother feels like he's always lived in his brother's shadow. And he's envious. Feels like his parents like his older brother more than him. And so what he does is he starts a, a rumor, a lie about his older brother. And it catches like wildfire and spreads. Eventually, his older brother finds out who started it. And when they meet, they yell and they fight and fists are involved. They don't speak again. Envy leads to disorder. Selfish ambition can destroy a marriage where a spouse is all about their career or their kids. Good things, but it's become all about them, their identity. It's who they are. They say excuses like, oh, don't worry, next year I'll change. This is just a season. I'm really just doing it for... But again and again, it's all about the career or kids. And so the spouse takes a back seat and a divide happens and fractures that marriage. Where there is envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. But, here's where James switches gears. I love this but. But, have a look at verse 17. It doesn't say, but, chin up, you can do better. It doesn't say, but, Look, let's face it, you're never going to change. You're always going to be like this. No, no, no. What does it say? But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now, before James lists a whole bunch of things that promote peace, he highlights something that we need to think about for a moment. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Because let's face it, when we're talking about envy and selfish ambitions, that's all of us, isn't it? I mean, we are a cocktail of disordered desires all in us, and there's times we're envious, there's times we're selfish, and it leads to a whole bunch of conflict and things that go wrong in our life. And we wonder, why is that going wrong? And we look in ourselves and others, and that's what's happening at work, right? We're not pure, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Now, to explain what James is saying, he's basically saying, what you pour into your life is what you're going to get out. To explain, I've got a prop. It's been a week since I had my last one. It's too long. So, I've got two bottles here. Which of these two bottles would you like to drink? I presume most people online or in this room would go for this option, Right? This doesn't seem all that appealing. When it comes to the wisdom, the way to live a peaceful life, James is saying there's heavenly wisdom or there's earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. Now, the problem with this illustration is you're naturally going to go with this one. No one's going to go for this one, right? But the reality, it's more like this. Which one would you go for? They both 
seem pretty much the same, don't they? But this one, truth be told, is sourced from the Southern Highland Springs. This one is sourced from a toilet. At first glance, they seem the same, but you put this into your body and all sorts of disorder is going to come out, right? You put this and it's going to lead to a fresh and good time. This is more like earthly and spiritual wisdom, where at first it seems good, but we don't really notice it because it's all around us. When it comes to envy, the social media that you consume is all about promoting envy in your life. As you scroll through your friends and say, I want that. Oh, why don't I have that? I would love that. And we pour it into ourselves again and again. You live, we live, I live in a culture that tells you life is all about you. You're number one. Do whatever you want to do. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And we drink it again and again and again. And it leads to disorder and chaos and all sorts of things go wrong. But then there's heavenly wisdom. How to live a peaceful life. And that's pure. But the problem is, this is not locally sourced. It's from heaven. How do you access it? The good news is, heaven's come down, Jesus Christ. And as 1 John chapter 3 says, all who have this hope in Jesus purify themselves just as he is pure. See, he is the cleaning agent we need for our souls. He is the one who will bring peace and peace evermore. And if you have your hope in Him, in Jesus Christ, then you have peace with God, and that means you can have peace with others and live God's way. James explains what it means to live a peaceful life. What are some things that you can do in light of the peace that you receive from Jesus to live at peace with those around? He spells them out in verse 17. And so we want to get practical for a moment. What are some things that you can do that promote peace? The first is peace-loving. Then it's considerate, submissive, full of good mercy and fruit, impartial and sincere. Let's unpack a couple and get practical, right? First thing, peace-loving. That's not conflict-averse, right? Some of us, you know, a bit of conflict happens, we like turtles, we hide, right? We don't like it. What this is saying, peace-loving, is are you someone who loves peace, is for it. Are you the kind of person that creates drama, loves it? Or are you someone who actually loves peace? You know, Jesus, he was a peaceful man. But his life was full of conflict. I mean, he had the Pharisees breathing down his neck. He was traveling here, there, and everywhere. He ultimately was killed on a cross. Not a conflict-free life, right? But he was a man of peace. And even though he had all these things going on, the thing that I've realized of late that stuck out to me about Jesus is he took the time to rest, to sleep, to take time out. And the more I reflect upon it, the, it tells you who Jesus is, that he had a lot on his plate. But because he loved peace and loved others, he said yes to things and no to things. He took time out. 
And that's a lesson for us. We might ask the question, do we love peace? But does our schedules, does our time, does our diaries reflect that? Do we have the time to actually have a peaceful life so that we have the time to love others well? Because, Chad, we, I mean, we are so busy, aren't we? I mean, we're rushing around like headless took busy, 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 and we think COVID's taught us something, but we just go back to old habits and we're always hurrying around, right? Are you someone says, I love peace and I want my time, I want the decisions to make to reflect that? Because I want a peaceful life so I have the time to love people well. Peace loving. The second one, consider it. If you want to keep a peaceful life, then you need to be considerate of others. And you're going to come into contact with all the time with people in your life who are different from you, culturally different from you, different ages, that kind of thing. But I reckon a big clash that we often have is people have different personalities to us, right? So for me, I'm more, I'm very much an extrovert, you know? And so when I come across someone who's an introvert, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to see no one for a whole week and think that's a good thing. Like, I just don't get that, right? So I, I clash with someone who's an introvert, right? Uh, for me, I'm someone who's the kind of guy who loves, if it's 70% done, then it's complete, right? Yeah, I was right there with essays, with sermons. You know, 70% done, it's just done, right? You probably feel it. But anyway, so I come in contact with a perfectionist. What do you mean it has to be perfect? What do you mean we have to cross every T and dot every I? No, 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 it's done, right? I clash. People who are more along the lines of conflict-averse, I mean, I, I just like a bit of an argument. You know what I mean? People will say, like, why are we arguing? I said, we're not arguing, we're just talking. What do you mean? Like, I don't get that. So there's all sorts of people in my life who are different from me, and I clash. And chances are the same as in your workplace, in your family, in church. We need to put the word consider back into consider it and consider for a moment that God has made people different from us and though we might find it hard because difference is hard, it's easy to hang out with people who are exactly like you, it's a good thing that God has made them different and I, as someone who's different from them, need to appreciate that maybe they have something to offer, to teach me, to show me that I need to hear or know. Consider it. That people are different from you. And it will lead to conflict, but I consider that God has placed them in their life for a reason and I need to learn something. The other characteristic, submissive. I reckon a number of conflicts happen in our life because we ignore this one. That anyone who tells us what to do has authority of us, over us, we think, oh, I could do it better. Why are they telling me this? They're really out for my good. And so we sort of undermine and create a whole bunch of drama that comes with it. Why we don't submit is generally not because it's illegal, they're getting us to do anything unjust. It's just because we don't want anyone telling us what to do or we think we can do it better. But you will live a more peaceful life if you live a more submissive life. And as Aussies, we generally are more submissive than, say, our American friends. But what we do, we might submit, but gee, we whinge. 
I'm going to do it, but I'm going to tell everyone, I don't want to do this. I'll complain and moan till the cows come home, right? That's what we kind of do. And so submission is actually, I'm going to do what I'm told, but I'm not going to complain or vent on social media or send that email. If you go down that road, friends, you will find that you live a more peaceful life because you're removing the drama out of it and leaving a less drama-filled life. The final one we'll talk about is full of mercy and good fruit. I love that word full. It's how I feel when I leave a Lebanese restaurant, full and with doggy bags, right? It's full. And a Christian is full of mercy. You cannot get any more mercy into you by God. He's been so merciful to us that he loved the sinners such as us. And when you've received that mercy, you want to show that mercy to others, that you're looking for opportunities to love people, to be generous, to be patient with, to be kind. And I know there are some people in this room who there's someone in your life who causes you a great deal of pain, a great deal of hurt. And why, for a second, would you show them an inch of kindness is because you have received mercy that you didn't receive and you show it to someone else who frankly doesn't deserve it. We don't deserve it and others don't, but we show the mercy that we've received. That's what it means to be full of mercy and good fruit. You don't only receive it, but you give it. Just one other thing on this. When it comes to envy, envy has a way of turning even a close friend into an enemy. Because we think that friend is an enemy to our happiness. They're robbing us. They've got something we want. And the antidote to an envious heart is that of a thankful heart. So, Ed Yorston, your pastor here at 7 o'clock and my dear friend. We've been mates for eight years. He has a whole bunch of things that I want. He's fit, he's social, he's a great evangelist, and he has a whole bunch of characteristics that I, frankly, am envious of. I would love to be like him. And over the years, because I do not want to turn Ed into a friend, from a friend to an enemy, the ways I've had to deal with it is to be thankful, to appreciate, to tell him what I'm thankful for him to pray that he would grow in the areas that I would love to have and flourish and succeed in them. Because I want the friendship to continue and to be a peaceful one. Here's the the thing, friends. If you want peace in the end, simply put, it's putting others first. If you want a life of disorder and chaos, then put yourself first. Adam and Eve learned this the hard way. They ignored God, obeyed Satan, went with their own gut, and it led to disorder and chaos in this world. Every time you do the same, it's going to lead to the same thing in your world. But striving for peace, look, let's face it, it's hard, right? It's easy to do this. It's easy to say, peace be with you. It is so hard to live a peace Life. It'd be easy if there was no one here, right? But we're in a world full of sinners and people. It's tough stuff. And I don't think it's an accident that James uses a gardening metaphor to show of how 
to work out peace, right? Gardening is tough. That's why most of you outsource it, right? But you cannot outsource this, peace. James says, be a peacemaker. Sow into your life each day the seeds of peace, loving, consideration, submission, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. And you will reap a harvest of righteousness. What I want you to do now is we're going to take a moment to have some reflection. So if you've got a pen and paper, grab that. If you've got a phone, turn to the notes section. And what I'm going to do is ask you three questions, which you're going to answer and not share with anyone. It's just your own reflection. I want you to just take this another step forward and let, make it more real in your life and press upon it, okay? So grab out your phone, turn to the notes section or a pen and paper, and I'm going to ask you just three questions. The first question that I want you to write down is what area of your life, what relationship is there some conflict or tension in? What area of your life, what relationship is there some conflict or tension in? Next question. Thinking about what you're responsible for, right? Not others, you're responsible for. What is happening behind the scenes of your own heart? Is there envy? Maybe some selfishness. Maybe they're different from you. What's happening behind the scenes that's causing this conflict for you, for what you're responsible for? Final question, how can you be a peacemaker in this conflict? What's one thing practically you can do to be a peacemaker? Have a look at the things we mentioned, verse 17. How can you be a peacemaker? What practically can you do? Heavenly Father, though we have sinned and we find ourselves being envious and selfish in all sorts of ways, Lord, and brought disorder, not into the, out this world, but into our little worlds, Lord, and we are sorry. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you brought peace, a permanent peace with God and peace with one another. We ask, Lord, that this year in our conversations, in the decisions we make, 
in our interactions with family, friends, brothers and sisters at church, and our neighbors, that we would be marked as peacemakers, seasoned with salt, that we would seek to love and to be kind and to show the peace that we have received because of you, Lord Jesus. Amen.